Surviving Separation, a podcast to help you through the broad and complex issues around family, relationships and divorce. Brought to you by TGB Lawyers. Welcome to the Surviving Separation podcast. I'm Michael Diggins and today we are with Tyndall Gas Bentley family law partner, Jane Miller. Hi, Michael. So today we're going to be talking about uh, a rather controversial Australian politician in Pauline Hanson. She's never a stranger to the news. Um, but just this weekend, she has uh, put together a rather unusual proposal um, around family law. So this is what she said, Jane. She said, family law is high on my agenda. I just think it needs a complete overhaul. It needs court-approved premarital agreements on finance and parental issues. So before someone goes into a relationship or a marriage, you must have a premarital agreement that would be confidential. She then goes on to say, we've got to free up our court system. It's overloaded. A lot of judgments aren't being handed down for years. So it's a pretty sweeping solution, but at the same time, it, it can't be as easy as that. So perhaps, first of all, for our listeners, we could just have a look at what a premarital agreement is and what does it involve? Sure, no problems. Um, well, in Australia, since 2000, we've had uh, the concept of a binding financial agreement in place, which is really a, I guess we might use the term a prenup. It can only cover financial matters. It doesn't go into setting out what's going to happen with children one day. But it's really an avenue where particular couples can perhaps contemplate um, in advance of their relationship working out how they would divide their assets and income if the relationship should one day end. So it's, it's a prenup in that sense. So that's what we have available now. We've had it in place since about 2000. Sure. So how, how ironclad are these prenups? Uh, nowhere near as ironclad as people think, I've got to say. Um, so there are very, very strict rules within the Family Law Act that set out what you have to do um, for one of these agreements to be a binding financial agreement. Um, for example, each person has to have independent legal advice. There has to be full disclosure given about what each party's assets and income and debts are. Um, that's just so that everybody can really make an informed decision about what they want to do. And uh, if they can satisfy those requirements and some others, then they go ahead and they sign it. Um, everyone then goes on their happy way until the relationship ends, thinking that they've got a binding financial agreement. And then, of course, when the relationship ends, they one of them might feel that they don't want to be bound by the terms of that anymore. And in those cases, when we then see people bringing an application to the family court trying to set aside the agreement. And there has been uh, literally hundreds and hundreds of these set aside by the court since 2000. So there are plenty of agreements that people have thought are binding and turn out not to be binding. Sure. So, I mean, it, it's not how they put it across in the movies or TV shows where it's just bang, we've got that, we've done out the way, and this is just the smoothest way to, to move these issues out of the relationship. Nothing like that at all, I've <laughs> got to say. Is. Um, <laughs> and, and look, sometimes they, they really do have a use. Um, they're really uh, quite helpful for people that perhaps might have already had um, a previous relationship and acquired some wealth. Maybe they've got children from a previous relationship and now they're moving on to, you know, a second marriage or a third marriage. In those sorts of situations, they're the couples that we see generally um, would be more interested in preparing one and have um, more use out of them. For younger couples that might go on and have children of their relationship, um, having children of that relationship may be one of the reasons the agreement perhaps becomes unstuck in the court system later on. And I've got to say, we have 
we have many, many inquiries um, from potential clients about be- doing BFAs, but once they understand the level of detail and involvement um, that they have to go through to get it done, uh, we probably only have an uptake of maybe 10% of people that will actually follow through and want to do the BFA. So they sort of realise that it's not necessarily the right document and situation for them once they know a bit more about it. So it sounds like an easy solution, but it very rarely is. Is it also one of those situations then where, you know, aside from a, a BFA, we already still have a, a legal system in place to sort of take That's care right. of these things? Correct. We've got the Family Law Act. It's been in place for, you know, since 1975. Um, it's uh, been amended uh, a number of times by Parliament. There's uh, hundreds of cases uh, decided every year by the court. So that sort of the system we've got for people that can't come to an agreement about a property settlement. I guess the concept of one of these Uh, a BFA binding financial agreement is you can opt out of that system if you want Um, but it's a choice and then we've we've at least for the people that don't want to opt out of the system you've got that safety net that the court will do what's fair at the time according to the laws of Australia. It's um, the, I think the thing that really pricked my interest about this as well is um, you know the aspect of, of the parental agreement around this too so at the moment under Australian law, there is no way to sort of, I guess, you know, pre-agree or predict what your future parental agreement may need to be. That's right. Absolutely. Um, you can't. When, the, when there's no child in existence even, um, it's hard It's hard for me as a family lawyer to even contemplate how you could potentially um, try to decide in advance of what you would do with your parenting uh, agreement. So at the moment, there's nothing available like that at all in Australia. What would be, yeah, under a under a, uh, you know, Pauline Hanson-style system for, for this. You know, what, what are some of the issues that are going to be so hard to predict for for parents and, 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 and future parents especially that, that don't have these children yet and it's not part of their considerations? Yeah, of course. So, look, if you haven't, if you haven't got a child yet or the children, it's, you can't – how on earth can you predict um, what views the child might have? Um, if mum and dad separate when that child's 12 or 13, they might have some views that they want to have input into what their living arrangements will be. Um, what if the children, um, one or more of them, have a disability of some sort that perhaps only one parent can support? And of course, you've got to factor in that there may be subsequent um, abuse. You know, you might sign one of these agreements before you get married, but then the child is sub- subjected to some sort of harm or abuse at the hands of one of the parents, and yet you've already predetermined apparently where that child's going to live at the end in the event of a separation. So it's just really impossible to sort of work out what's going to be in a child's best interest um, before that child even exists and before you know the circumstances at the point in time that the arrangement would be put into place. We'll be back to this discussion in just a moment. It's at distressing times like when a relationship breaks down that a caring approach and personalised service really count. That's what TGB's team of accredited family law specialists and experienced family lawyers is all about. TGB's family lawyers are recognised across Australia with the largest team in South Australia and expanding across Western Australia and the Northern Territory. If you need advice for separation, divorce, property settlement or a children's issue, contact TGB. Visit tgb.com.au to arrange an appointment at your nearest office. Could that perhaps create a certain issue where you know people feel beholden to stay in a relationship because they've got these sort of binding agreements that may not go their way? 
um, you, you, particularly for children, that they then just think, well, I'm just going to have to you know, brave what could be a very unhappy mm. situation. Absolutely. And I think we can't underestimate um, how victims of family violence would have to navigate their way through this sort of regime. Um, if a, a woman that's a victim of family violence has already predetermined before marriage that you know her children would leave equal time with her husband and then the family violence occurs during the relationship wouldn't that want she want to stay in the relationship in, to some degree or be a deterrent because she'd be worried about her children spending that time um, with their father so it's just uh, really difficult for people to navigate their way through this type of system if they're not on an even kill with their with their partner and there are a lot of power imbalances in relationships both you know before marriage during marriage and after marriage and the legal system should be there to support those families and those victims of family violence you know both adults and children um, you can't predetermine all of that and somehow contract um, with that person what you're going to do and ignore all of that and of course that's also already one of the biggest challenges um, I'm sure that you would find in, in your line of work which is you know what it takes for people to you know, even speak up about something that's happened in their life you know bef you know and then to come to you and and, and and say, you know, well, I need to get out of this situation. Of course, absolutely, yes, uh, absolutely. And and the concept about trying to enter into an agreement with somebody when you might be engaged or thinking about entering into fact a relationship, if there could be family violence in that relationship and people may be trying to uh, be, or feel compelled that they have to enter into one of these agreements and yet they there's a power imbalance and they're giving away their rights to the other person without actually feeling empowered to stand up for themselves or to understand the effect of what they're doing at that point in time. So um, it, it really doesn't fit well at all with addressing family violence. Um, you mentioned there before as well um, uh, the uh, aspect of de facto couples um, and, 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 and not just married couples. You know, uh, uh, what are some of the considerations that they may then have to uh, th think, think about? They haven't even you know got to the point of wanting to be married yet, but then at the same time they could find that you know they have a lot of resources together they you know sort of they've almost by default built this life together um you know and surely that sort of muddies the waters a little bit on, on this issue oh very much so we see um at the moment people that are in de facto relationships that really don't know they're in de facto relationships <laughs> and that that sounds strange but the you know judgments from the court make it very clear that couples don't necessarily have to be living in the one residence to qualify as de facto couples under the Family Law Act. So sometimes de facto relationships, people just fall into them as opposed to a marriage where it's obviously much more intended and clear and you've got a clear date, it starts. Um, de facto couples, they can be something that people, circumstances just bring people into um, unintentionally. So there's not really going to be that forethought of, oh, let's go off and get our you know, pre-de facto relationship agreement that's going to determine what we'll have with our money and our kids if we separate. It's just impracticable. That's not the way people's behaviour works. So you know, it, this is now sort of being sold as that sort of, you know, magic bullet to this whole thing. But yeah, could you see it being that way, you know, given the sort of the, the strain that, you know, the so many people think that the family courts are under and there's no doubt there's a lot of work going on there and there's a lot of strain there. But does this really feel like the greatest solution? Uh, look, uh, you're right in terms that there is strain and uh, Pauline Hanson is right in terms that the courts are overloaded. Uh, but this is definitely not the solution. I mean, I think 
you know, as a family lawyer working in the system day in, day out, um, I look at this and you can just see the tremendous workload that this would cause for the court in trying to unravel all of the agreements that people have entered into, perhaps under duress or not understanding their rights, um, or that there has been you know, been some sort of subsequent situation that means that the agreement should be set aside. So there's a, there'd be a lot of work for the court in this. Um, you would also have a situation where pretty much under this proposal, every couple in Australia would have to go off and get one of these agreements set out in advance. So we know now that the divorce statistics are about one in two marriages. So that means that we've got about 50% of the population doing these agreements for no reason at all, because they'll go on and stay happily married together forever. And um, so it just it really doesn't actually address the core of the problem in any way. Um, and it certainly doesn't bring justice to families that are separating Sure, and I think I think that's the biggest, most difficult thing that people handle when they when they are separating, which is you know justice and and fairness. Um, yeah, and is that I guess you know the one of the hardest things that you have to juggle in your line of work as well? Of course, and uh, people's views of what's a just and equitable outcome can be really different. It can be subjective, and if you're emotionally involved in the situation, which you are, if it's your family that's falling apart, um, it can look like perhaps the outcome's not a fair one, but the truth of the matter is we've had this Family Law Act in place now for uh, since 1975 and there is no doubt that its objectives are to deliver an outcome that's in the best interest of children and deliver property settlements that are um, just and equitable. Um, it's easy to say, it's hard to do, but um, you know the, the system isn't broken in terms of the Family Law Act that applies, it's more broken in terms of the strain that's on the court to actually get through its workload. It's um it's a it's, it's a really good point you make there. You know the law is actually on people's sides. You know it's the sort of the, the mechanics behind it that can that can really take that time. Um, you know, I, I guess sort of as a as a broader view beyond premarital agreements. You know what what is your advice to people if they find themselves either in a situation where they're not happy with a premarital agreement or just not happy with their you know in their marriage and they want to move on. I mean, you know, how can they sort of make that process easier on themselves? Speaking up, getting advice, um, getting a support network in place um, and having a real team in place that will um, support you and guide you through that transition period. One of those people would be a lawyer, um, but, you know, the team might also involve a financial planner or a um, counsellor or psychologist and the like to sort of really support you through that transition. And it's useful to get advice from those people, even if separation's just a potential that's on the cards. Um, when you go to see, you know, we see plenty of people as lawyers that might separate and they haven't made a decision if they will or won't separate yet, but they just want to get some early advice so that they've got their eyes open. Um, it settles any anxiety about what the outcome might be. And really, most work that lawyers do is actually out of the court system and it's much more based around applying fair principles to come to an outcome by agreement um, and then assisting the parties make that binding. So going to a lawyer doesn't necessarily mean you're heading into years of litigation in the family court. It just means that you'll be informed about your rights and responsibilities and you can have your eyes open. Sure. So knowledge is power and, uh, and a big team effort at the same time. Absolutely. Fantastic. Jane, thanks so much for your time today. No worries. Thanks, Michael. Uh, my pleasure. Thank you. And uh, if we've got any listeners that uh, you know, have any more questions, uh, they can check us out at www.tgb.com.au or give us a call on 08 
You've been listening to Surviving Separation, a podcast brought to you by TGB Lawyers. Make sure you subscribe to the show and for the latest podcast updates and news, visit tgb.com.au forward slash podcasts. Tyndall Gask Bentley is one of Australia's largest and most respected family law firms. To arrange an appointment, contact the TGB team or read blogs and content, visit tgb.com.au. Please be aware that the discussions on this podcast are general in nature, true at the time of recording and should not be considered legal advice. If you are facing a legal issue, seek advice from a lawyer specific to your circumstances.